Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and you are listening to the Backtracker History Show podcast. Crafted by me, a self-confessed history geek who enjoys those stories from the past that might have been forgotten. The Backtracker History Show is first aired on Bradley Stoke FM in Bristol, England, before being plonked onto the podcast stage for all to enjoy. Now, if you enjoy the show, don't forget to share or leave feedback. It all helps. Keep in touch via either Twitter or Facebook by using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK. going to be talking about an event that happened in 1928, the Great Air Pageant, organised by the Bristol and Wessex Aeroplane Club, which had only been founded in the previous October. and Bristol was rather excited. Filton was having its very first great air pageant. The Duke and Duchess of Beaufort, the Lord Mayor and Lady Mayoress of Bristol and a crowd of more than 25,000 witnessed the greatest air spectacle in the west of England. Can you imagine the atmosphere as the pageant opened with an impressive parade and a flyover for all the planes taking part. When the planes landed, they taxied around the aerodrome in front of the enclosures with the crowds, then took off again, doing a circuit in the sky and landing again. Although the main event, the Talbot O'Farrell Challenge Trophy, wasn't until two, there was a lot for the spectators to do. The crowds watched open-mouthed as brave airmen were seen walking on the wings of planes at the height of nearly a thousand feet. The spectators could also get close to such planes as Imperial Airways, City of New York, a huge, well at the time, 14-seater. It had Bristol Jupiter engines. Joy rides were offered to the suspension bridge and back, if you could afford it. One of the more unusual displays was the balloon bursting competition. The five contestants were circling up above as ten gas-filled balloons were released. The aim was to burst as many as possible in three minutes. Now, it was a windy day so a lot of the balloons got away, but it was still an amazing thing to watch. The main event, as I said, was held at 2pm, the Talbot O'Farrell Challenge Trophy an open handicap race of two laps over the Yate-Alverston course of 35 miles in total. There were eight finalists, 
including Miss O'Brien, who had damaged her hand earlier in the day. The popular Bristol pilot, Captain C.F. Irwins, won the speed event, reaching an average speed of 108 miles per hour over the 35-mile course in his Bristol Lucifer. That's 22 minutes, 11 seconds in time taken. Bearing in mind that the Great War had ended 10 years earlier, the final event was an attack by hostile aircraft on armoured cars and a tank. A tank was propelled and it broke down. The cars of the Gloucestershire Hussars were sent in to repair it. These were seen by three military aircraft which attacked immediately with machine guns and bombs. The land crew all had to run for cover whilst the planes finished off the attack. This show of military aviation warfare sent the crowds in the enclosures wild. They were getting up close and personal to what life must have been like in the war. And it was brilliant for them. They could just imagine what it was like in the real situation. The whole spectacle was being described to them by Captain Brewer of the BBC, who was broadcasting a running commentary which was transmitted through 32 loudspeakers. And if I'm not mistaken, it's time for Word of the Week. And this week's word is Chuckaboo, which is a Victorian name given to a very close friend, much like BFF is nowadays. Did you catch our VE Day special yesterday? It was from 6 till 10 and it was amazing. You would have heard me telling you stories about the Bow Fighters VE Day celebration in Bristol. Now I've got a few in this day facts. First of all, on the 10th of May on, in 1940, Winston Churchill became the British Prime Minister as German troops invaded Belgium and the Netherlands. In 1941, Deputy Nazi leader Rudolf Hess parachuted alone into Scotland, apparently to negotiate a peace deal. Hmm, what do we think? On the 11th of May, 1981, Bob Marley died. And on the 12th of May, this one's a good one for radio fans, in 1922, the UK's first radio station, 2 L.O. was established at Marconi House in London. Now this is something interesting. I found it the other day. Bristol Museum and Art Gallery have done a virtual tour of three of their art galleries. I went through it and it is really good. Buy each piece of art. There's little information buttons so you can get as much information as you want. And I found it relatively easy to use. Now I put a link to it on my Twitter page and I'll put one on my Facebook page as well. The first Western Air pageant took place on the 5th of May 1928. The whole event was a huge success. Cars lined the streets, not only in Filton, but also in Clifton near the suspension bridge, where people were waiting to see an extremely good view of the planes flying towards them, and it must have been so exciting for them. 
But while the air pageant was held on the Saturday, on the Sunday, the 6th of May, an accident happened, which led to the death of two of Filton's most talented pilots, Eric Hooper of Clifton, aged 21, the only son of Donald Hooper, and Donald Tanner from Froome. Both young men were popular members of the Bristol and Wessex Air Club. That's the club that formed the pageant. It only started in the October previously. Eric was in charge of the joyriding at the pageant. He was a certified pilot with two years experience and an officer of the Royal Flying Corps Reserve. His civil occupation being an agent for the Solar Sign Company in Bristol. Donald Tanner would have qualified for his pilot licence soon if he'd lived. His main occupation was with the family printing firm of Butler and Tanner in Froome. Eric had taken Donald up in a moth plane and was returning from the direction of the golf course when he suddenly went into a nosedive and crashed. Almost instantly, the plane burst into flames and although a number of people rushed to the spot to offer assistance, it was brutally obvious that the occupants of the plane were beyond help. There were only a few people there when the crash happened at about 2pm, when the usual crowd that gathered around the aerodrome in the morning had gone home for dinner. But a scoutmaster who witnessed the accident said, I saw the moth about 100 feet up when it suddenly went into a spin and fell like a stone to a crumpled mass. Instantly there was a burst of flame and a cry of horror from those present. I rushed across the aerodrome with others. It was a distance of about 200 yards, and and although chemical extinguishers were used on the blazing wreck, it was useless. I could see that already the two bodies were badly burned, and realised that there was nothing I could do. This was the first accident to happen to the Bristol and Wessex Air Club, even though hundreds of flights had been made and thousands of miles had flown. All planes were kept to the highest standards, as was required by the Ministry of Air under whose control all flying was then done. An official of the Bristol and Wessex Aeroplane Club stated that the unfortunate accident had cast a deep gloom over everything at Filton and was all the more regrettable, following as it did the wonderful success of the pageant the previous day. He gave it his heartfelt opinion that both the pilot and passenger were dead before the wreckage burst into flame. When he was asked if he could suggest how the crash happened, he said, Mishaps of that kind are usually due to some inadvertent action on the part of the pilot, but Eric Hooper was so experienced as an aviator that the accident was all the more remarkable. Following on from our VE Day special, I have got a cracking book of the week for you. This week's book is called Bowfighter Boys, True Tales of Those Who Flew Bristol's Mighty Twin by Graham Pitchfork. Graham had started doing the research used in this book many years ago for another project. He discovered that there was a plethora of anecdotes, memoirs, photographs, just so much stuff out there that he really needed to do a book. Now, if you don't know, the Bowfighter was used in many, many missions during the Second World War. And it was made right on our doorsteps in Filton. How good is that? 
It's published by Grub Street Publishing and it's currently available on Amazon at a reduced price of £15.40 for the hardback instead of £20. I'd like to take the time now to thank all of you that have sent in messages via email or the websites um, saying what you think of the show. I'd especially like to thank David Young, Susan Taylor and Maria Curtis. I loved reading what you had to say about the show. And Maria, I'm glad you have found an interest now in Clara Buck from last week's show. And I hope your copy of her book, Hope and Glory, arrives soon. Now we'll continue with this week's story about the accident that happened the day after the very first Western air pageant. Before the break, we found out about Eric Hooper from Clifton, age 21, and Donald Tanner from Froome, and how they went up in a moth plane and they came down quite suddenly. Eric had been trained by the Bristol Flying School and was an officer of the RAF Reserve. After the accident, screens were put up around the wreckage and later the St John's Ambulance Brigade removed the charred remains and took them to the city mortuary to wait for an inquest. All flying of moth planes were suspended following this tragedy, but other services such as the aerial tours by Imperial Airways and Surrey Flying Services continued. Donald Tanner was only 26 years old at the time of his death and had loads of friends in Bath. He had a cheerful word for everyone and there was many a time that he would be seen in the merry throng of dancers in a bath ballroom. Flying was his greatest hobby and he was getting quite adept at it. He would spend every spare minute at Filton and he had plans to take a plane and fly it to London and back. A great feat in those days. He was very excited about the prospect of doing this amazing flight and it was quite infectious to other pilots. He said that after he'd completed the flight, he would be wonderfully bucked. He had been an officer in the 4th Somerset LI, where he had commanded a platoon in Froome within the battalion, always working hard for the welfare of his men. He was keen on miniature range shooting and was quite good. He formed a team that only a few weeks previously had entertained the Bath companies at Froome. He was Joint Managing Director of Butler and Tanner Printers and Publishers in Froome and had recently been elected onto the Froome Urban District Council. Now, his funeral was held a few days later and the grief at the death of Donald Tanner was so heartfelt in Froome that well over a thousand of the townspeople went to his funeral at Holy Trinity in Broome. Eric Hopper was buried on the 9th of May in Camford Cemetery in Westbury on Trim and the sadness of the sudden ending of the life of this promising young man also attracted a large crowd. The coffin was covered with a Union Jack 
and lots of beautiful wreaths were sent. At the inquest for the accident, more details surfaced. The first witness called was a Dr Walter Dyer who had been called to the scene and arrived about 4.30pm. He found the remains in the plane wreckage. One was face down and the other on its back. Both were charred beyond recognition. One had a compound fracture on the left arm and the other had severe head injuries. In his opinion, death had occurred before the fire. The ground engineer, Mr Arthur Webb, certified that the plane was in perfect working order, even producing the counterfoil of the certificate as proof. The original was held at the Air Ministry. The next witness was the flying instructor, Mr Ernest Bartlett, who said that the pilot was very competent, even having been up with him himself. Ernest was there before they flew off and was satisfied that Eric was fit to fly. The previous pilot of the moth was contacted. Mr Jones sent the inquest a reply stating, I was the last to fly the moth before Mr Hooper took it up. The petrol tank was refilled before my flight and I remained in the air for only 10 minutes. I found the engine ran perfectly and the machine and controls in every way normal in their behaviours. Police Sergeant Arthur Turner was on special duty at the airdrome and saw the pilot and passenger get into the plane at about 2.15. It took off towards the railway station and circled over the heads of the people at the aerodrome. A little later, it turned left, bringing it over the railway lines, and he saw a quick flash. The flash was a sun on the wings as it was flying towards the sun at the time. Suddenly, it came down, nose first, and, and then it flattened out before going into a nosedive striking the ground. As it hit the ground, the sergeant turned to the constable and said to him, My God, it's down. Run. It came down in the lime kiln field, just under the golf course, and only 50 yards from the railway line. As it struck the ground, it caught fire. He and two constables raced to the scene, but by the time they reached it, it was already burning fiercely. They could see the bodies in the wreckage, but could not get to them. Someone there had already tried to pull the tail down and others were trying to put out the blaze with extinguishers and sand, but to no avail. In the summing up, the coroner said the deceased's were killed as a result of an accidental crash and mercifully death took place before the burning. That raised the question as to the cause of the crash. It seemed that they discharged all the obligations lying on their soldiers when they were satisfied of two things, one of which was that the pilot was a competent flyer to take up a passenger. Then there was a question of the safety of the plane. Both of these questions had been satisfied by the witnesses. As to what did cause the accident, he said, that we may never know.
Potato, I've got some more facts for you. And keeping with our whole aeroplane theme, the first one is the 15th of May in 1941 when the maiden flight of the UK's first jet aircraft, the Gloucester E-28 forward slash 39, rolls off the tongue, designed by English aeronautical engineer Sir Frank Whittle, took place. On the 16th of May, 1943, during World War II, the RAF's 617 Squadron made their bouncing bomb raid on the Ruhr Valley, Germany. They became known as the Dambusters. Some of you may already be aware of this, but Squadron leader George Leonard Johnny Johnson, MBE, DFM, is a retired Royal Air Force officer who is the last surviving original member of the 617 Squadron, RAF, and of Operation Chastise, the official name of the Dambusters raid of 1943. He lives in Bristol and I actually met him a couple of years ago when he visited my children's primary school. He's a lovely bloke, very kind and always eager to answer any questions people may have. Also on the 16th of May, the Women's Voluntary Service for Air Raid Precautions was founded. listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background, that's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.